0: When I knew I'm listening to Zeppelin, this was mainly when I was introduced by my first boyfriend and he was super into Zeppelin and he made me a mixtape. And then our first date was watching The Song Remains the Same. (laughs) And I was just completely blown away. I remember very well the Since I've Been Loving You scenes with Robert Plant. I would say that raw sexuality of Led Zeppelin, even though I didn't necessarily have the language at that age, but that just grabbed me immediately. I would say that combined with the musicality is so top notch. All the members of Led Zeppelin are at the top of their game and the songs are really interesting. So I think as a classical musician, hearing something that's really well crafted with really interesting chord changes and Interesting things with the time and meter really held me, held my my musical palette.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Set Lusting Bruce, your podcast all about Bruce Springsteen, his music, and mostly his fans. I am your host, Jesse Jackson. We are getting off the Bruce train, though I'm sure he will come up, as he often does. And I'm hoping not to come up short with the rules of the game. With my new guest, Amy Brooks. Amy, welcome to the podcast.
0: Thank you. Yeah.
1: So tell us a little about yourself.
0: I'm I'm a musician and I've been playing music my whole life. Started playing piano when I was four and a half. And now I am I still play piano and I'm also a drummer and a singer. And I drum and sing for my band, Low Tide Levy. And I'm a huge Zeppelin fanatic.
1: Yeah, so we have a lot to go with. And there are a couple things specifically I want to talk to you about, but I always like to start at the beginning. So talk about where did you grow up and what kind of music was your family listening to when you were a youngster?
0: I grew up in Berkeley, California, and my parents really just listened to classical music. That was it. But, but I would say that it wasn't, it was still very enriching. It was, they're both musicians. So I was hearing a lot of things that they were doing. I was, they're both singers mainly. So I heard a lot of beautiful choral music, Rachmaninoff, Vespers was one that stood out and like Bach. I can't remember the masses and just some really incredible works of music. And I also was studying classical piano and my so are my siblings. So I listened to a lot of different classical piano and really not much pop or rock or anything like that. But I found those things, but it wasn't through my parents.
1: Yeah. When did you discover pop and rock and the other kinds of music?
0: So I did listen to some, I should say I correct myself. I did listen to some when I was pretty young, but it was like tapes that my siblings made for me. So the, and the things that I liked that, you know, I guess I asked them, I don't know. It was like The Cure, Depeche Mode, Prince, 80s things, 80s music, Eurythmics.
1: So Amy, where are you in the sibling? You the youngest, in the middle?
0: I'm the youngest. Okay. And by a bit more that like my sister's seven years older. My brother's five years older.
1: Okay. So, I'm- so I, the reason I ask is siblings is something that comes up on a fairly regular basis as I'm interviewing people. And there are similar stories that either if you're the older sibling, you tend to influence the younger so they if you're an older sibling or on the story you'll talk about sharing that music or if you're the younger you will tell the stories about the older sibling and i always think of that song that that scene with almost famous where when the the sister runs off and she leaves all his out her albums with him and it goes back and forth that sometimes the younger child rebels and oh my My older brother was really into British rock, so I embraced punk, or or I really discovered blues, and or other times like nope, my my I was step in line. So was it contraband? Did you have to sneak in the cassettes as contraband, the way that some kids sneak in cigarettes and Playboy's, or did your parents just turn an eye to it and okay, whatever, kids are going to be kids.
0: I don't think they cared. Okay. I had some little boom box. I don't remember there being a real issue, except there was, I sometimes would like tape stuff off the radio. And I remember I taped Push It by salt yeah. and Peppa. Yeah. That was just, I knew that the folks weren't going to appreciate that song. So I kept that one to myself.
1: <laughs> so there is a, this is purely fictional, but there is a scene in one of the movies that was set in early 50s Memphis, where it showed a young Jerry Lee Lewis plaguing gospel music on the piano. And whenever someone turned around, he'd change it into Boogie Woogie. But then, so was there any of that with a young Amy that you would try to play pop or rock and roll when you should have been practicing classic?
0: No, I would say not at all, except that, not except, but I made up my own music. So that was okay. And- I was encouraged too. So that was, it wasn't like I had to sneak it, but I would say when I wasn't practicing my pieces, I was playing, making up my own music. I started composing when I was eight. And then as far as getting in the rock, like that happened really in high school and I didn't have to sneak it. Like my parents, I don't know. They didn't really care. Okay. I know that would be more of a fun story if I was.
1: No, it it is a. It- I think both make a good story. I I love the idea that your parents being confident enough. hey, we know Bach, we know Handel, we know Beethoven. They've, Mozart has, has stood the class, test of time. We'll take on Duran Duran anytime you want. So. uh,
0: They didn't really understand like those types of music. So it was kind of whatever, like they were so into what they're into that like that was their world.
1: Was there ever a moment when they did listen to some pop music and would go, oh, do you see what they're doing there is actually very similar to what Blank Blank might have done in a classical piece? No. (laughs) Okay. It would have been a good story if it is. If your dad had said, Uh, what Brian Wilson is doing with the Beach Boys is truly, you know, what Gershman or somebody was doing.
0: Yeah, that would have been like the kind of cool dad thing. He wasn't really... (laughs) He was more like, oh, this sounds horrible. Like Robert, Plant, he doesn't even know the name Robert Plant, but oh, that singer's screaming. It's terrible for his yeah. voice. He was singer and he would think, oh, that's going to hurt his voice. And that was the kind of feedback that I got it was not really.
1: Sure. <laughs> Amy, I asked this when I have a Bruce fan on and I, did, I do it now when anyone is passionate about another band, Can you remember when you first discovered Led Zeppelin and what about their music spoke to you? Can you articulate it? Yes,
0: definitely. The first time I heard them, I didn't realize it. So I think my sister played records when I was a kid, but I didn't know that. Like I didn't realize what was being played. I was probably really young. So really when I knew I'm listening to Zeppelin, this was mainly when I was introduced by my first boyfriend, I guess, in high school And he was super into Zeppelin and he made me a mixtape and then we like our first date was watching the song remains the same. (laughs) And I was just completely blown away. I remember very well the Since I've Been Loving You scenes with Robert Plant. I don't know if you've seen this, but it's pretty racy. Okay. I would say like that raw sexuality of Led Zeppelin, even though I didn't necessarily have the language at that age, but that just grabbed me like immediately. I would say that combined with just like the musicality is so top-notch. All the members of Led Zeppelin are at the top of their game and the songs are really interesting. So I think as like a classical musician, Hearing something that's really well crafted with really interesting chord changes and interesting things with the time and meter really held me, held my my musical palette, so to speak.
2: Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners, Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds.
1: lasted longer, your love of Led Zeppelin la- lasted longer than the first boyfriend, right? Yeah. Some people have poems or sketches if they're an artist or artifacts. You've got a love of Led Zeppelin that you like, you could say, that's partly, yeah. yep,
2: <laughs> that's yeah, good.
0: You know, <laughs> you know what's cool, little, a little aside, a little fun story is that that guy, we're still friends, believe it okay. or not.
1: You know, well, that's so cool. Funny.
0: And he actually is playing trumpet on the first song on our album, my band's album.
1: <laughs> that is very cool. Yeah. That's neat. I love that. So after you, did you, were you out looking for other albums? Were, what time period is this, by the way?
0: This was, I think, my senior year in high school. Okay. Maybe senior year. I can't remember. I think it was like, yeah, senior, but yeah as soon as I got bitten by the bug. Sure. And I I knew that I had to get everything, but I wanted to take it slow because I wanted to savor every moment. And I knew I had to go chronologically to really get the full experience. So I went to Amoeba, like our local. I don't know if you've heard, like, where do you live?
1: So I live in Dallas, Texas. Okay. But I grew up in. Lake Charles, Louisiana, Bookworms Apple was the local record shop. It was also the head shop because I graduated high school in 77. So when and that's why I was asking you the time period, because I'm trying to get a feel of when you're pursuing, were you getting uh, CDs? Were you getting cassettes? Were you getting vinyl? Oh,
0: yeah. So it was like 95, 94,
1: 95.
0: I graduated high school 95. And I was getting C- like used CDs. Sure. Now I have all the vinyl.
1: <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I know that's one of the things I do. Like I grew up just the earliest memories I can have are reading comic books. I've always just been a, a voracious reader. And when I discover a new writer, I want to go especially if it's a series, I want to go in chronological order. Even if the artist, if the writer says on his website, really, you can read the books in any order. They're designed that way. But and I'm like, no, no, I, I, I've got to have that in my mind of going through that order. I didn't have that when I found the couple of times I've gone through musical obsessions, I've never had that discipline. I've been just like, Oh, I found this a track because that's how old I am. I'm buying it. But you deliberately said, I want to start, but you did the research. This is the first, I want to spend time with it, learn that and then move on. Is that what you're telling me? Exactly. Yep. Do you can you remember how long did it depend on the album of how long you lived with them or did. You know, like... I don't
0: remember the specific each album, but
2: yeah.
0: it probably was a, like a good number of months. I would say, okay because I wanted to savor it and have it known by me, not just sampled. I wanted to immerse myself. Sure. So it was probably like a couple months or something, depending on the album. Graffiti's a double album. Probably spend a little longer. Probably sure. spend a less time with honestly with in through the outdoor. Not to put it down, it's still a good album, but it's not.
1: Yeah, sure. We all have Springsteen did Ghost of Tom Joad, and I'm sure right now I've got fans list screaming, "How can you not love Ghost of Tom Joad?" Each his own. So one of the issues of falling in love with a band like Led Zeppelin is in many ways, if you had a time machine, right? I want to go back and I want to experience this show live. And this was not to be. So what, but there are members of the band that tour. So what have you been able to experience live?
0: I've seen Page and Plant so they t- I was so lucky the timing because Page and Plant decided to tour I think it it was in 95 Okay. It was in 95 the first one. Then mm-hmm. so I saw them in that tour. Then I saw them in the 98 tour cuz they did it again and I saw them twice, two different okay. locations. And then I've seen Robert Plant as a solo artist twice and I've seen John Paul Jones as a solo okay. artist.
1: Okay. Has your love, has it taken the journey of you support the solo stuff as well?
0: To a certain extent, I would say a more limited extent, as far as like buying the albums, I'm assuming. Yeah, Yeah, I I'm not as into just into the body of work, the original work of the like Robert Plant solo career as Led Zeppelin. Sure. I'll listen to it and I'll enjoy it, but most of it isn't something that I'm really enamored of. Mm -hmm. And so I don't have many of his solo albums. And then John Paul Jones, actually, I, I, for some reason, didn't really know what he was putting out, but I more recently explored like some of his, albums one of which I saw the tour for and it's pretty cool I think maybe something that I wouldn't have appreciated earlier in my like now I have a little bit of a wider palette just from being older and exploring more yeah
1: I I, I want to be careful how I ask this question because I don't want to sound like I am judging your life choices so safe space <laughs> <No>
2: but <worries. laughs> you,
1: you were raised by parents who were classical musicians you've tasted classical music you've been writing music since you're very young and you go into marine ecology <laughs> <laughs> i insert the sound effect of the record album so i'm not judging I, I get it and you got a master's so it isn't like you i started this you were all in
0: well i was fully in
1: So please tell me how young Amy decided that even though the whole family, because I would think if your parents weren't into music, it would be like, come on, Amy, music is not a way you can make a living. You have to find something practical. So talk to me, and obviously I'm doing this a little tongue in cheek, talk about what about marine science spoke to you and why you decided to pursue that.
0: Sure. Yeah. That's easy. So I guess I'm a person who gets really into things. Okay, I was eight. I got really into penguins and I'm still am to this day. So I read everything about them. Even when I was eight, like I did a report on them and it just kept going. I didn't stop. And everyone I knew gave me penguin things for gifts. So I have like tons of penguin paraphernalia. And I thought maybe I would like I thought maybe I would be a penguinologist, (laughs) which is not a word, but I swear someone that I met at a party told me that they were a penguinologist. And it's probably one of those things you make up that you, as a kid, you think you heard something. So I had this kind of in my mind, but then I also had this field trip in high school that was amazing. That changed my life. It was going to Baja, California, staying on an uninhabited island and there were marine biologists that took us tide pooling and out whale watching, dolphin watching, all of that snorkeling with sea lions. It was amazing. One of the most unforgettable things I've ever experienced. And when I did that, it was my freshman year in high school. And I thought, now I know I'm going to do marine biology, like for sure. But I didn't want to choose. So in, in college, I insisted on double majoring. And I didn't ever want to choose, but then I ended up having to choose because it was too much to double. It was, I actually got mono, mono, the.
1: Sure. Mono Nicholas. Yeah.
0: I had to drop a class and I was really, I was not doing great. And I just decided, okay, I'm in a minor in music. And I picked my direction then I was like, all right. And I thought that it was more sensible for finding a job but I also loved it. I was really torn. So it wasn't like I was picking marine biology because I thought music, I wouldn't succeed. It was more like, I love both. I'll choose this because it just, it will be easier to make a living. But I was completely wrong. I was completely wrong because I tried very hard for seven years to make it work, including getting my master's. And it wasn't easier, partly because I, everything that, was like an avenue I could have chosen, I found I didn't want to do. <laughs> and finally, so just to make a long story short, I finally got what I thought was my dream job and it sucked for many reasons. Okay. Uh, I was the title wetlands project specialist for Elkhorn Slough Research Reserve in California. Sounds really neat on sure. I could go into it, but it just was really bad. I finally realized, like, none of this is working. I've been beating my head against a wall that doesn't want to open, trying to fit myself into a hole that I don't fit into.
1: Square peg to round hole, right? Yes.
0: yes. And finally, so I always thought that I would end up being a piano teacher after all the gallivanting around the world, studying penguins and going to Antarctica, <laughs> once I was, like, more old and sedate. So then I thought, maybe I'll try that instead, when I'll switch careers. And I did this program called the artist's way which if you never heard of it it's amazing it's this by this writer julia cameron and she put together like this kind of do-it-yourself course that's pretty intense and you go through it it's for people who either want to be more creative or people who are artists and feel blocked or want to do as their career and feel blocked and after going through that It made me just realize like I had an identity realization, like I am an artist and I didn't really understand that before. I didn't really understand what that meant. And when I understood what it meant, I realized, of course, this wasn't working for me, of course. And now like I'm much happier person. Yeah. (laughs) And so I, I do teach piano, but I also have my band and then I perform as a pianist. And I also teach, I don't know if I mentioned this in my, what I wrote, but I have a special area in teaching that I really love, which I never could have dreamed would have happened. And it happened because I got repetitive strain injury and I would have had to stop playing. Except that there's a method called the Taubman approach that my teacher knew about. And I was able to relearn all the movements so that I could have basically ergonomic playing so that I'm not causing these problems with my movement, similar to someone at a computer job who could get repetitive strain injury. Right, yeah. And so I retrained everything and also going through that process, realized like, I wanna help others do this too. I wanna help other musicians who can't play be able to play again, just like I did. And so I got certified and now that's mainly what I do is I have people who are injured come to me And they, they've been told by doctors sometimes that they can't ever play again and they can play again. And I've been able to help them learn how to move so they can do what the love of their life of music again.
1: The, the old joke after the accident, will I ever be able to play piano again? And maybe I couldn't play it before, but in (laughs) this case, you really are because of carpal tunnel syndrome or similar to that, right? That if you keep playing the piano, you are going to damage yourself or it is going to be painful. And to be able to say, Hey, come here, come here. We're going to let you still make music. We're going to still let you be creative. We're just going to change the way you do it has to be incredibly satisfying.
0: Yeah, it is. And it's also got, had such an incredible benefit for my technique. So like my right. technique, to the point where like i there are pieces that were out of my range that i can play now and i played one of i recently played one of the hardest pieces in piano repertoire i never could have done that before piece by ravel i don't know if you're familiar with ravel but it's beautiful i definitely recommend checking it out it's called ondine if you're curious o n d i n e and it's just one of the most beautiful pieces of music
1: Ever. I'm making notes. So you truly did just switch gears. You went, this is not what I want. And one of my favorite Bruce Springsteen songs is a song called Better Days. And the premise is that one of the lines is, I'm sitting here waiting for my life to begin. It's all just slipping away. Mm. And I think the premise of the song to me is that we spend our time waiting. When I get my dream job, then I'll be happy. When I get the pay raise I deserve, then I'll be happy. When I get the kids out of diapers, then I will enjoy. And the reality is it's the journey that matters Mm. and truly waiting to find that happiness, you have to enjoy what's going on. So I think that's amazing that you decided to make that change. And and I love the diversity, right? I'm doing piano lessons, I'm doing piano therapy, physical therapy for pianos in my layman's terms is how I'm thinking of it, and that's great. When did you decide that you've always, you said it sounds like you've always written songs. When did you start wanting to be a performer? And did you start out doing solo, or did you always know you wanted to be in a band once you turned this t- corner?
0: That's a, such an interesting question because, yeah, it's something that I never thought that I wanted to do. Okay. <laughs> to be honest, and I'm the lead singer for the band and the drummer. Right. And- I never thought, I always sang in choirs and stuff and liked it, but I never, ever wanted to sing a solo. I was like, no, never, not for me. So obviously that changed. And I would say when I was always performing as a pianist, but I would get really nervous and I would say that it wasn't something that was like a dream for me to do. But... So when when you
1: say performing, what were you doing?
0: As a pianist? Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Um, yeah.
0: so my piano teacher would have every month recitals. Okay. Every month, so I had to prepare every month to perform in our piano gotcha. studio. Okay. And then we would have like a special one at the end of the year, and then I also did competitions and things for evaluations. Okay. It was quite a lot. It
1: was okay. Quite a lot.
0: Honestly, a lot of pressure. Okay. Sure. So it wasn't easy at all <laughs> sometimes I really enjoyed it and sometimes I didn't depended how it went I sometimes played for my church and I liked that better because I didn't feel like there was so much writing on how I did like a competition but then when I ended up playing so just I don't think I mentioned this I was in a band before this band in New York I moved to New York and it's all because of Led Zeppelin which <laughs> sounds ridiculous but it's no, true. no it's okay <laughs> I can I go in details but that's how I ended up in New York that's how I ended up meeting the guy who's now my husband that guy invited me so the way we got together is this guy I was set up with him through a friend because we both love Led Zeppelin and it didn't really quite work at first but he asked we became friends and he asked me to join his band he they just had lost their keyboard player And he asked me to be their keyboard player. And at first I said, oh no, I've only done classical. I don't know how to do, be in a band. And he said, oh, that's nonsense. If you can play classical, like hard music, like you can play keyboard in a band. And I said, okay, I guess I'll try. He said, just jam with me. Just let's jam together. So we did that. And I had such a blast. Like it was so much fun. And then I joined the band and it was like one of the most fun times ever in my life. Like it was just this golden stretch of time.
1: What kind was, of music were y'all playing?
0: It was something that kind of created itself. There was no real let's do this genre, but basically I was playing this Korg keyboard. Trying to, I can't remember the number. I'm not so good with the numbers of models and stuff, but it yeah. had a lot of really cool, like kind of psychedelic stuff you could do with it. And that's what I was really getting into. And I led the band in a way to create these songs that were led by this keyboard So it was basically like experimental electronic rock. Is like what we ended up calling it, but it was keyboard and Sasha, my, who's my husband now on the bass and sometimes guitar. And then we had a drummer and sometimes I would play like a drum pad and do like backup vocals. And it was just like for fun. Like we, we didn't have any aspirations. Like we, and which was one of the fun things about it. Like we just were having a blast. And really having some creative alchemy happening. Okay. And when we had gigs and I didn't have to do anything, it got lined up by one of them. Like I didn't do shit. <laughs> so I just got to ride along and have fun and be creative. And I, it just woke me up. I was like, this is my dream. I didn't even, honestly, I didn't realize it at the time. It was more later where I was like, that's like the funnest thing I've ever done in my life. And so that, that was part of realizing what I wanted to do to have the span. And then I also like the other part of the story is I used to, I used to do belly dance and, I, and I'm not studying it now, but for about seven years and I did some performing. And I remember going to this retreat, this like kind of personal work retreat where like we were doing these kind of like scenarios, acting out things. And I was asked this question, like, what do you really want to do that you feel like you never could do? That's like kind of secret that's inside of you. Yeah. And I said, be a performer. And I didn't, at the time, I didn't consciously realize I wanted to be a performer. So it was this whole situation allowed me to realize something that I had never admitted or realized to myself. I don't, there are a lot of reasons why I could go into it, but I just, it was something buried, something buried. I didn't feel that I could do that. Wasn't really my right to do or something. And so that was became a seed. And I imagined myself, what would be like my my dream would be sitting at the drum kit with screaming fans, like just playing my own music that I wrote with a band, like Led
1: Zeppelin, basically. <laughs> Amy, a couple questions. Cause you've given me a lot there that I love. How did you what? Why did you leave keyboards and become the drum. What was drumming? What about it spoke to you and why did you decide? I'm a classically trained pianist. I've spent all my life playing it, but you know what I really want to do is I want to be John Bonham. I want to be Max Weinberg. I want to be the guy.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So that happened actually earlier than all of this. Like I, in 1998, I think was when I got my first drum kit and I think when I got into Zeppelin, I was pretty, pretty right away, like really obsessed with John Bonham.
1: Okay. like
0: just yeah. I remember like just meeting people like randomly and just talking about John Bonham, like constantly. So I didn't know at the time I wanted to drum necessarily, but it must've been in there somewhere. And then I had a friend in the music program who he knew I wanted to play the drums and he's, Hey, I have this kid. I don't want it. I'll sell it to you for a cheap price. And it was a pretty nice beginner pearl export kit that I got for 500 bucks. Hardly, he hardly used it.
1: Yeah.
0: And I actually was living somewhere where I could put it, which was amazing. It was just like this kind of funny property in Santa Cruz. I was going to UC Santa Cruz and the neighbors were not (laughs) freaking out or anything. So I actually got to start learning and I just loved it. There's something so primal about it. Um, And I also, I love to dance and I love funk. And I would say Mm -hmm. that may sound unrelated, but it's not because John Bonham's style, if you like get into Zeppelin and you're really geeky about it, you learn that he's a funky drummer.
1: Okay. Gotcha.
0: And he was very influenced by jazz, but, and some funk, like he and John Paul Jones were both influenced by funk. Soul. And he has this behind the beat laid back kind of way of feeling. And just that also that really hard hitting at times mixed with like ghost notes, that just that texture is so delicious to me.
1: <laughs> so yeah. as much as you loved going back to marine science and you've thought this was to be something you loved when you started, when you got the drum kit and I assume you started taking some lessons did it speak to you? Do you like, oh yeah, this is what I've been waiting for?
0: I don't think I had that realization. I okay. was just, I was experimenting, I think. I was like in okay. college, I was like doing all sorts of things. And I loved it, but I wasn't taking lessons yet. I was okay. like learning from friends who gave me okay. lessons. Okay, is- sure. Um And I would say also that I didn't have that much time to practice because I was so busy okay. in school. So it was forming. And then I think what started getting me more excited was when I started to jam with people. Okay. That's a whole different thing. And I think that's partly why I love to play with other people as a drummer. Like, it's just so fun to me. And I, I had this opportunity when I lived in this crazy mansion in Santa Cruz. It's actually in Ben Lomond, this little mountain town outside of Santa Cruz, like right okay. after I it. And it was just kind of luck that I lost the place I was living, and a friend said, "Hey, these people need another roommate and it was this wacky place, and all new people I didn't know and two of them or two yeah two of them had a band, and I had never really met anybody in a band at that point in my life, and they were playing more like indie rock, so it wasn't some it wasn't a genre that was I was particularly into, but when we played together, like we got the chance to actually play with other people. I didn't care what we were doing. I just was loving like this group thing of co-creating and improvising together. And I wanted to keep doing it. I definitely knew that's I, that was probably more the moment where I was like, I have to keep doing this. Like this is something that I'm
1: made to do. So when did Hubby go from being okay guy bandmate to hey, this might be something different.
0: It it hit me like I wasn't seeing it coming.
1: Okay. Yet.
0: So like we became fairly close friends. And he was into me, and I was no. <laughs> <laughs> and it was probably because I I finally had gotten over this guy I was into for a long time that was like just not a, it was bad for me. It was just like a bad. in my life and I just felt I don't want drama I just want to be like free and happy and so I was just didn't want a relationship but then I guess just the more time we spent together like there there was just this moment actually where I felt like this is going to sound crazy but I felt like a rocket was coming out of like the ether and just came and into my heart and exploded it and then I just, I couldn't even talk. We were like having dinner on the top of my apartment and it was like romantic, but I swear I did not plan to do, make it romantic or anything. Yeah. It just happened. And, but he was like, he dressed up. So he was like hoping. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and this rocket came in, ex- burst open my heart and I just, it was, yeah. He took my hand and I felt like electricity and it was just like, oh my God, my mind was blown. And that, that was it. I still didn't want a relationship though. I was like, let's just see. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Let's just see, but he just proved himself to me. Like he just, I don't know, like, I, I guess he somehow showed me that I could trust him and I had never, I didn't realize that I was like not trusting. And I, and so then it was like, oh my God, this is person I really trust. And it was really amazing and totally new for me, like just a whole new world.
1: There is something about trust being very can be very alluring and very safe, right? That is that. There is a wonderful song. It was not written by Sarah Hickman. She is, but she covered a version of it. And the Chuck Brodsky wrote the song. But the lyric is, "We are each other's angels." We meet when it is time. We keep each other going, and we show each other signs. And I picture that we meet when it is time. That there was that, and as you said, that rocket. And all of a sudden, I think that's a beautiful story. I love that.
0: Yeah, it is. It's. It really was. It's. It was like I was on some crazy drug, and I, I wasn't on anything.
1: Yeah. So you guys had already been in a band, and so it wasn't like this, hey, let's start a band, right? If it was a Judy Garland, Mickey Rooney movie. But why did you, obviously with your mutual love of Led Zeppelin, so why did you guys decide to, okay, this is our influence and we're going to do a new kind of band. We're going to do this. Talk to me about that.
0: Yeah. So that happened very organically. And it's funny, it's cool. It ties back into the two housemates where i jammed with them. I stayed friends with one of them. He's still Mm -hmm. a very good friend. And we, so when Sasha and I both, like we moved back to Santa Cruz, um, Sasha's from New York. So he, and the funny thing is I never thought I'd go back to Santa Cruz, but here I meet Sasha, fall in love with him. And he decides to go to grad school in Santa Cruz of all places. So I'm back in Santa Cruz, even though I didn't really want to be back there, but it was okay. And we looked up Chris, my, my housemate to jam. We thought this would be fun. I had my drum kit and Chris had like a studio that I could keep it in. And so we ended up jamming and just, we really had fun and we had the good chemistry. So we just kept going with it. And then we've had several incarnations, like different times, mm-hmm. like we were jamming the for the first incarnation, then we reconnected and had like kind of an indie rock band, mainly because Chris, the guitarist, is like really into indie rock. Like it's not okay. really, but like I was like, sure, we'll do that. Yeah. And I was just drumming, I wasn't writing the songs or anything. Came coming up with my own drum parts, of course. And then we Sasha and I moved to Berkeley and we decided Chris Chris got fired. <laughs> Terrible, but He got fired and I think he was fine with it. He didn't like the job and he had a lot of time on his hands. So he could travel. He was like an hour away. He had time to come and jam with us. We're like, hey, let's jam. And we were just having so much fun. And I remember this very clearly. Like I had this thought when I was sitting at the piano, like, why is it that I can't write songs? I can only write instrumental music. And then I realized that thought. It was like an unconscious thought that became conscious. And I thought, wait a minute, I've never tried to write a song. And I didn't even realize I wanted to write a song. And I realized like, I, I would like to try writing a song. And very soon after that, my, the first song for my album just came to me like in the shower after some kind of crappy experience with one of my, the parents of one of my students. And it inspired this song. And I started singing it with the drums and I never intended to be a singer drummer. Never thought that I would do that. And it wasn't really on purpose. It was just that I, this started a songwriting thing for me and it was just coming and I wanted to be the one to sing it, but I also wanted to be the drummer. Okay. I'm going to have to learn how to do both at the same time. And I did. And so I started pitching, Hey guys, how do you like this? And we're trying it and they were really digging it and we were developing it and, and we just were on fire. We had this real like fire, creative fire that was burning bright and was this wonderful period of creation. And it's not the same people now in the band, but that's how that came to be.
1: So let's talk about the album. So tell me the name, tell me the name of the band, and let's talk about that. It just was released just a couple of months ago. As we're recording this, it's the middle of June. This will probably come out middle of July. I've got a bank. So about three or four months ago. So talk about the album and... The kind of its journey, Amy. Sure. Yeah.
0: So our band is called Low Tide Levy.
1: Nothing to do with your marine background, or did oh. you was that an influence?
0: It's definitely an influence. Okay. Yeah.
1: Okay.
0: yeah. Um, and so is Led Zeppelin because of the levy when the levy breaks, sure, sure. like blues reference. And still water. So that's the band and the album is called Land of the Lotus Eaters. And that is a reference from Homer's Odyssey. I don't know if you're familiar with that. And that's, there's a whole kind of story there, but basically the way that I'm interpreting it, which is a little bit like Joseph Campbell's interpretation, if you're familiar with him, the way he looks at myths and combines Jungian psychology is that it's like this journey through the unconscious. And it's a little bit like psychedelic. a little bit dangerous and scary because it's the, it's so unknown. It's so mysterious and sometimes terrifying for that reason, but also full of treasure, hidden treasures, full of discoveries, full of like kind of exploration and knowing oneself more deeply and knowing the world more deeply. So that's that. And then I would say as far as how does that relate to the songs? I would say, The songs were like my trip through my unconscious. Okay. I I didn't plan it that way. It's just happened. It just happened. And some of those songs are like therapy for me and helped me navigate and overcome some long standing, lifelong difficulties.
1: And do you sing lead on almost all of them? Do you see lead on? You do?
0: I am the, the singer. I am the only singer. <laughs> All right. Yeah. And
1: as you said, this was not something you were expecting.
0: I know. I never thought this I'd be doing this. And yet I tell you, like when I am singing and drumming, especially performing, it feels so good to me. It feels like the most fulfilling musical thing that I can do because it's every single part of me is participating. My whole body, like my voice is like so much of my body. And then all four of my limbs, (laughs) it's songs that I wrote. So it feels like I get to express myself. Like I always wanted to, and felt like I couldn't, it's, oh, that that's it. That's the way that lets me feel like I can finally express myself.
1: I was going to say, so you're, you guys are doing local gigs performing
0: we are working up to that we had to get a new guitarist okay tricky i'll just long story but it's been just like a long-standing difficult thing that we've been dealing with Sure. and hopefully everything's going to work out with our guitarist we've been working with since august he's he had like a hand problem so i'm hoping it's not repetitive strain injury yes really praying here but
1: yeah
0: he's feeling better and so we're actually going to be doing a gig like our album release gig which I wanted to do already but we're probably going to be doing that in a month or something a couple months and then hopefully we're going to be playing regularly locally that's uh, my goal.
1: yeah so that's what I was going to ask you you've have you performed you've jammed and you've practiced but have you performed live with You doing the Don Henley thing where you're the drum kit with the mic and going.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We were gigging with our previous guitarist. Okay. But we had probably like 12 or 13 gigs overall. Okay. It's enough for me to know that I can do it because I I was a little nervous. Can I really pull this off? I can. And also we practice a lot. So Mm -hmm. as, as a musician, my whole life, I know how to practice and I'm a teacher. Yeah. So. I'm good at practicing, so if there's something that I'm struggling with, I can get it with the knowledge that I have of how to practice something, or if something is too hard, then I move on, but so far, I've been able to do everything that I wanted, because I'll have a vision of, like, how I want a drum part to be, how I want a vocal part to be, and sometimes they're both hard at the same time, and I'm like, shit, can I do this, and so yes. far, I've been able to do it, I've been able to do it, so... <laughs>
1: What's next, Amy? What do you want to do next?
0: Gig, having more gigs. Right. That's a huge thing. I want to, and I want to work up to eventually like headlining the film more. That would be really cool. Yeah. And I also have a lot of material for a new album. So I really want to like take next steps of hopefully working with the guitarist that we have to, for him to put his voice as a lead guitarist in there. Cause I have a lot of things that I want a lead guitarist to come in and. Write parts for, but a lot of songs are pretty fleshed out, so it's not going to be necessarily that long before a new album. But this one was a lot of work.
1: So, tell everyone where what's the best way to find the music?
0: Um, YouTube is always good, Spotify, it's on everything, is on both of those, and actually any streaming platform. But that's what most people use. And we have a cool video for one of the songs, Dang Diggy, that's on YouTube, it's Claymation. Okay. it's really awesome nice um, and then we have a website too it's low dot so basically all the handles are low tide levy it's easy to find us you youtube at low tide levy, or lowtidelevy.com and that has also links to our music and you can join our mailing list get on our Absol- mailing
1: list. absolutely yeah. and i will include all these notes in the show notes i'm gonna get to the mary question but what haven't I asked you, Amy, that I should have?
0: Ooh, like how is our music Led Zeppelin?
1: Let's go for it. Yes, wow. I, that was one of the things you led with and we've never gone there. Yes, tell me how.
0: I would say in several ways, although it may not be like every song you hear. Oh, this sounds, none of it's really, oh, this sounds just like Led Zeppelin. But I would say Nautilus, people hear it and do say, "Yeah, that reminds me of Zeppelin or Sabbath. Okay. And I would say in that way, that song, it's like, the really like driving guitar riffs, repeating like blues derived guitar riffs. That's like, this has the zeppelin signature to it. The drumming to some extent, for sure. I would say that I'm not, I cannot ever <laughs> compete with John Bonham. So I'm not ever going to even joke that I could hold a candle to him as a drummer, but I want to be my own drummer too. So it's not, I'm not trying to be John Bonham, but there's, he absolutely influenced me the most of any drummer. Hearing certain things like the way that I'll do sometimes, this may be a little music nerdy, but like linear drum beats where I'm using the kick, snare, hi hat in this particular linear fashion. That's a very John Bonham thing to do. So I do that in certain spots. Also the way I use ghost notes. Also sometimes just the force of the, like the kick that I'm using. I really like to have a lot of sound there and have the lush, big boom to the sound. So in the production, that's what we went for. And then I would say the other thing I might mention is just the variety. So there's a lot of variety in the album. The songs are really different from one another. And that's Zeppelin did that too. Like they, you can go through an album and it's really different moods and even sometimes more like different genres within an album. And so that's the case with Land of the Lotus Eaters as well. And I guess the last thing probably I should say is just like being very blues oriented, which a lot of, and I point that out just because that used to be more of the norm with rock music. And that has changed a lot since probably the late 90s. There's not much blues-derived rock anymore. It's more, it's, there's more pop
1: rock. Sure, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, very nice. I am looking forward to, I, I sampled a few songs and I'm looking forward to spending a little bit more time with it. And I will make sure everyone has the link to go and check it out. This sounds fun. And I love that you've discovered your passion that you've discovered this, your inner artist, and have found a way to express it. And I I think that's just amazing.
0: Cool. Thank you. All
1: right. So Amy, if you are a fan of Amy and the book and the band, thanks for checking out the podcast. I hope you enjoyed our conversation. I end every podcast with the Mary question and Jay Armstrong, who is a retired honors English teacher When he was teaching, he would give his class the lyrics to Thunder Road by Bruce Springsteen. And they would explore the lyrics. They would talk about the themes Bruce explores. And at the end of the two days, he would ask his class the question, does Mary get in the car at the end of Thunder Road? So, Amy, that is your question. Does Mary (laughs) get in the car at the end of Thunder Road? When I first talked to Amy, she took an incomplete on the Mary question, but she called back and left me a voicemail with her answer. So here you go.
0: Hey, Jesse, this is Amy, and I have an answer for your Mary question. Um, I just reviewed the song again and listened to a live version, and that kind of sealed the deal for me that I think Mary did get in the car, um, or the truck. It's <laughs> a car or a truck? And I think she did, partly I'm convinced because of the way that Bruce is singing um, at the end and just the, also it's really the whole tone of the song. It's so, um, it's really kind of a expansive song that feels like it's like, you know, a call to the joy of being alive to really take that. Um, by the bull by the horns and just live, um, t- you know, seize the day kind of kind of energy. And I don't think that he could sing it with that gusto if she <laughs> dissed him and didn't get in the car. Um, Sasha did not agree with me. Um, he thought that Mary wouldn't get in the car because of just the sort of way that she was being spoken to, like, oh, you're no beauty. And it's not really something that's very appealing to hear. Certainly isn't very enticing to get in that car. So I, I understand his viewpoint. Um, but there you have it. <laughs> so hopefully that was fun for you. I really enjoyed our interview. And I can't wait to hear it. Um, you know what you put together. Thanks again for everything and take care.
1: Bye. Yep. amy you have been a fabulous guest thank you i hope you had fun
0: i did this was so much fun
1: thank you go check out the music people go check out the songs and listen to your creative heart but for now be kind be safe and we'll talk to you soon goodbye so, go another episode I'm about to go through a couple of things where you can reach me and give me feedback um, so if you want to skip this I understand but I do hope you check it out every once in a while I'm available on Twitter at Jesse Jackson DFW The show is available at setlustingbruce you can send me an email setlustingbruce at gmail.com you can send me a voicemail at 469 249 I am currently doing a few other podcasts, Perfectly Good Podcast, John Hyatt from A to Z, where Sylvan Groth and I discuss every John Hyatt song in alphabetical order. My Babylon 5 podcast is Last Best Hope for Conversation, where Lou, Karen, and I discuss every episode of Babylon 5 in chronological order. I still am doing Next Stop Everywhere, the Doctor Who podcast, with my brother-in-time, Charles Skaggs. And then finally, How Many Podcasts, the only podcast on the internet that counts, where my buddies and I discuss pop culture. You can go to our Patreon page and support the podcast for as little as a dollar a month. You can go to our Facebook page, like, and please, please go to iTunes or wherever you get your podcast and leave a five-star rating and review for all of the podcasts that I'm doing. It's okay if you don't listen to them, but if you subscribe and rate, it really will make my day better. Thank you, and I will talk to you soon.